0: Hey, Brad. Yes. You know how we fund this program, don't you? I know that this is funded by real people who love us. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And only by those people. And Brad is in silk boxer shorts as he says this. But (laughs) if anyone wants to support this program and you've enjoyed things in the past, Brad and I did start a Patreon And that is directly helping us host the server costs and do everything we need to do for the show. And we post great videos on there, funny journal entries, weird photos, and have access to our Thursday night Discord fireside chat where you and I uh, enjoy some tales and spin some yarns. If anybody would like to support, we would appreciate it. What is the address, Brad? It's patreon.com slash going off (laughs) track, Benny. Come on
1: down and join the team.
0: (laughs) I think I got in a little trouble on Instagram the other day. Because Jared Hart, you know, singer of Mercy Union scandals. Post this tremendous photo of him the other day. He does like his yearly photo shoot with our buddy Greg Pellante. I didn't notice during this pandemic he was growing a heck of a mustache. You know, the thing is, it's serious. It's thick. He looks good. Yeah, yeah. And I wrote in the comments... I was like, ooh, fine cock duster you got going on there. And I was like, this is going to be the comment of the century. Like, I thought it was really going to go off well. I talked to Jared later. He's like, I was like, I thought that was going to be such a well-received comment. He's like, I think people didn't know whether they should like it or not. I was like, oh. I'm like, well, I could have said womb broom. You know? So I think I was being... Take your pick, man. Yeah, I thought I, I was being the better of the
1: two, personally. I, I think these days you got to say both, Benny.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cock broom? <laughs> just mix them up. So I can't believe we interviewed Cinnamon Toast Crunch Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I, I was there because I don't remember it. Um, it must have been a touring one for me. But for reference to anyone who's listening, This great story came out last week, which really blew my mind. I honestly went into this story with great depth because of how crazy it was. So someone opens a box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch and apparently finds a shrimp tail and then subsequently finds six shrimp tails in this bag of CTC. Now, uh, you look at the picture, they're clearly shrimp tails. You know, I'm no private detective, but they're clearly shrimp tails. I agree. He, you know, since he has some, uh, you know, social media clout and he's married to Topanga from Boy Meets World, you know, he makes a tweet and it actually gets seen being like, what are these fish tails? And then here's where it gets interesting is that cinnamon toast crunch responds saying there is no chance right. of cross contamination <laughs> in our, you know, in our, uh, facility that makes this and, and, you know, Something is amiss, and those are sugar crystals you're looking at. Right. <laughs> Two things to me about this. A, they were not sugar crystals, they were shrimp tails. I can just <laughs> know that from my eyes. But also, I think I believe Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I actually the, believe that, like, there would be no real reason for six shrimp tails. Oh, absolutely. To contaminate, like, a General Mills line randomly. And only one box had tails. like So that part, I believe Cinnamon Toast Crunch and the idea that there probably wasn't cross-contamination in the facility. So that only leads to two options here, right? (laughs) A, our friend who we interviewed for going off track, maybe he set it up. You know, it's not too hard to find six shrimp tails, put them in front of a box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch and take a picture, (laughs) write a tweet to try to get some attention. Just because he was a former guest, I'm not going to (laughs) totally rule out foul play. But also, the other foul play could have been a line employee at General Mills. That's what I think. Just with like six little baby shrimp tails in their pocket for no reason. We're just like, whoop. And then there's someone, you know, uh, someone in an apartment somewhere laughing with their family. Just go like you see this shit. I threw those trip sales <laughs> in that box.
1: <laughs> what do you yeah. think
0: it is? Which one?
1: I, I definitely think it's that because there's a part two that I think you missed. Ooh. Was that here's a here's a good reason for being a little more transparent with your customers uh-huh. and, and a little nicer with them. Right. Because they were a little they curt. Dis- they were a little curt. Well, and because they were so curt and they disputed it, he went back and looked through the whole bag and ended up finding little cinnamon toast pieces of cereal that actually had what appears to be rat turds embedded in them. Stop it. So that's like not, there's no way that he could have faked that because there's no way he could make cinnamon toast crunch pieces of cereal. So he now, he wouldn't have gone and looked if they hadn't been like, there's no way. Like you've, have you checked out the bag? So he did, he went and checked out the bag and he's like, oh, look at this. It's to a follow-up it tweet. Wow. It's a follow-up <gasps> post.
0: I didn't see that part of it. Yeah,
1: so he sent that off for testing. So, so but said, I agree with you. He sent it for testing?
0: <laughs> yeah. It's going he for, he sent analysis? It for testing Oh, yeah. man. So he could but blow he also, up the whole thing. If he yeah, really finds he also, rat shit in a, in a... But he also said that um,
1: he bought like two boxes and one of them had tape on it. Like the other one seemed to have been taped shut. So it could be tampering, but this reminded me of a, I think you're right. I think it's a, I think it's a disgruntled factory employee because there was, I remember when I was a kid, you know, I remember when I was a kid, my dad was sitting around with some buddies drinking beers and you know, he pops a fresh beer and he's drinking it and he goes, Ugh something's wrong with this beer this tastes weird and he holds it up to the light and there's a cigarette butt in it oh (laughs) and you know that's the guy on the line like oh Uh, man i hate this fucking job (laughs) fuck this and of course it's like the
0: 70s when like people were probably smoking on the oh for sure yeah 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 (laughs) oh my goodness that's amazing it is remarkable how quickly cigarettes went from like, oh, I'm delivering your baby while I'm like smoking (laughs) to like being nowhere near the thing. I saw Johnny Carson the other day uh, conducting an old interview like from the 70s. And uh, yeah, I saw him. He was like the the, the person was making an answer to his question. He leaned off, just ripped (laughs) one, threw it to the side. I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty impressive. It's like the Mike McDermott who used to play for the Souls. He had a couple parts in some songs where the drums dropped out and he had a weed tech <laughs> just ready, ready for him to to take a little hit in like the 30 right. seconds he had and jump right back on. And crazily, I mean, he played in the tempo s- did change. He played too fast. He played right. insanely fast. So I don't even want to know. What Mike McDermott <laughs> was gonna do without weed. It would have been nuclear assault style stuff. Oh shit. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the cinnamon toast crunch conspiracy. I used to love that cereal. I did. Oh, who is it? Nathan Nathan Van Horn. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Sent us the message. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> saying that uh that we did interview him, which which you should have remembered,
1: but I didn't. I didn't I was aware of the story. I never looked at the guy's name. I just was, you know, just looking at the social media.
0: Too funny, guys. man. Well, this interview with Brian was fantastic, was it not? Yeah, it's
1: very fun. This is really, there's some great stories. Yeah, some great
0: stories. He's such an insightful guy. Um, You know, I think really like self assured. you know, this is the kind of guy like he's like kind of knows exactly who he is. Yeah. Which is very refreshing. You know, it's not like when he's answering questions, he's like, no, I'm confused about what I, he's like, no, 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 this is exactly what's happening. And and he's, he's got kind of like a very well reasoned response for what he's doing. I was also relieved to hear like another touring musician be like, yeah, like the road just freaks me out. Right. And the more and right. more I like think about it and the farther removed I'm getting from it, you know, especially now <laughs> that I'm like been sheltered in place and all my weird routines are even weirder than they were, you know, three years ago. I was like I was like, oh, it's true. And the thing I remember is like. I was just telling my wife last night, it was, there's, you know, I have dozens and dozens of tour stories that are like really fantastic, wild, semi-insane stories that I love telling now. And I wear them as like a badge of honor. But at the time they were happening, if I'm really honest with myself, I wasn't having fun. Yeah, I was nervous. I was anxious. I was <laughs> scared. I was like, all those things, like running the gauntlet of emotion. You know what I mean? At the time, and I'm not, I'm just like him. I'm not one of those people who can just like brush it off. You know what I mean? Right. And like go on with it and this and that. It, it deeply affects me. And even when somebody asks me to do a tour, even if it's a great tour, my first reaction always is just anxiety right off the bat because it's like, I got to go through this like series of mental gymnastics. I'm like, okay, how am I getting there? What am I using? Who's there? Like, where are these places? And I have to go through these like steps to even feel comfortable. So I see all these people like tweeting, like, get me the fuck out of Los Angeles. Put me on the road <laughs> for a year. I'm going crazy. And I'm kind of like right. in the background, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. i kind of with Brian on this one, maybe. Uh, maybe I should start a booking agency or something. Huh? Oh, you'll get back on the road. No, I don't. I know. I have no choice. I have no choice. <laughs> it's it's where I belong. And I even came up with another. It's, you would like this since I know you're uh you like to be, you know, a little deprecating about drummers. I understand that. <laughs> but, you know, there's some a reality that's come into play in the last couple of years, which is like It's finally true that to some degree a drummer like me has become more expendable than he used to be. And I used to make the case that real drums will never sound as good as sample drums or programs. Well, it's not really the case anymore. They sound fucking great. They do. And I know that my friends who write songs can play guitar to a click and press one button on their uh, program and it'll run a sample that, kind of sounds like a semi shitty drummer, you know what i mean? But it sounds good enough. <laughs> you know? And where i'm like i'm like if this was actually like a not great like 17 year old playing drums, i would believe it that it's not a machine. So, that being said, you know, i have a reality to it. There is some truth to that. Like like the the technology hadn't caught up yet. Now i'm getting to the point where i'm like okay, it's caught up. It's really good. But How many people out there are left in the world who can let their hair down, play really fucking hard, and cover like 14 Led Zeppelin songs? Right. That person is probably going the way of the dinosaur, right? Yeah. So that being said, since the younger generation is maybe not attempting to do that as much, maybe it makes my old sweaty ass more of a, you know, a unique anomaly. Well, it does. And as somebody who has spent hours programming drums, yeah,
1: it's much, much faster mm. to record any kind of live music with a real drummer than it is to fucking try to program it. That's true. Your ear comes back to that live breathing, like, real sound. You can't really fake that because mm. it's an interaction, too. If one guy sits down and programs drums for five hours... And then plays his guitar to it. It's never going to sound like the black keys or like the white stripes. You know what I mean? Sure. It's never going to sound the same.
0: I can't believe I executed this mental trickery and just got you to defend drummers for 120 (laughs) seconds. I feel like I should put a crown on. This is great. Never seen this in Tape Op magazine. That's what's what's so frustrating about
1: (laughs) it is you can't fucking get away from them.
0: (laughs) Uh, We're like adult zits.
1: Oh, Sorry,
0: addictive. Sorry, addictive. baby. Sorry, baby. <laughs> Look, listen. I, you know, the way I always looked at it was this: is like I know I'm not going to get a lot of attention. I know that's the deal, but I know how to make people's heads move. I'm a head mover. That's yeah, my baby. job. I know how to make necks swing, and <laughs> and yeah, I'm I'm still sticking to my John Henry story with neck yeah. swingers versus computers. I think the neck swingers are going to win. I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't think Brian would ever use a program drummer. No way, man. No way. <laughs> he would get kicked out of the punk rock museum, which is a very interesting part of this story. And that that story he told about the that Jersey band, The Worst, I didn't know yes. anything about that. Wow, that was fantastic, man. Yeah. Um, I feel like we could have Brian on for a long time to just do like a Disgraceland-style <laughs> pod, oh, yeah. just telling us great punk rock stories you know let's uh let's get into this i feel like we've been talking for a while brian i got some i tried to get some dirt on brad this week (laughs) but i randomly got texted by gentleman jim norton you know jersey legend i Uh, talked to jim today oh awesome and uh it turns out I had no idea that Jim had tour managed or traveled with Brad's old band in the I, 90s. I talked well, about that before. Well, I didn't remember. <laughs> um, and so I asked, I'm like, oh, great. Brad always tries to come off so squeaky clean, you know, like he's never, <laughs> never had a problem in this business. I try to get the dirt on him and Jim's like, you know what? They were great. <laughs> like, jim's
2: an old pro he's not gonna give up that
0: easily that's right he's, he's like, also not shy to tell you like an awfully embarrassing story about a person if they deserve it no that that's true actually i was being mildly <laughs> sarcastic that is true so i think gentleman jim might have to get on the podcast here oh right? yeah i'm gonna have to do one of our road dogs episodes with at them. some point oh my god you're nervous a, i can tell you're nervous brad that'd be a seven partner <laughs> yeah that's a big one <laughs> you spin some yarns oh, so yeah. speaking of spinning yarns what, what's going on with you brian uh oh my goodness what's not going on with me uh
2: i don't know <laughs> um you know just uh chilling at home uh it's been like a year of mostly not leaving like for yeah. real we like really stayed put because my wife is immune compromised. My daughter oh, okay. has done school from home the whole time, so I've been her main teacher. Uh, I'm a booking agent, so I haven't been booking bands. I'm a touring musician of some sort, so I haven't <laughs> been doing that myself. Right. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's been a it's been a weird year. Uh, it's nice to talk to some other people.
0: How are you? Um, you know, like you wake up in the morning. How are you? How are you getting into each day? How are you approaching the day?
2: Honestly, like this is the best I've ever felt in my entire life, which is kind of weird. Um, you know, and I say that recognizing the fact that everything that has gone on in the last year and the million people that have died and how tragic this has all been. Uh, you know, I I totally obviously understand all that and feel awful about it as somebody just riddled with, uh, like horrible, horrible anxiety. Um, not having anywhere to be or any uh, any real responsibility for the first time in my, well, not, I still have responsibility, but um, yeah. I guess basically just like not being on tour, not, uh, I don't know. It's weird. I feel like uh, almost like a rich person. Like this is what I imagine they feel like. You get up and you're just like, all right, what am I <laughs> going to do today? The world is my oyster. <laughs>
0: right. Uh, where's I, I kind of had heard loosely that even though you tour a lot, you know, when, when, Uh, the earth is opened up, but you have a, um, like a pretty crippling fear of flying. Is that, is that still a thing for you?
2: Yeah. It's become basically a crippling fear of leaving my house, uh, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, yeah. And it's just become a thing where I never, I was never great at touring. I don't, I don't drink. I don't party. Um, I go to bed early. It's just not like a lifestyle that really appeals to me, but I love playing music and I love my bandmates and like, we have a lot of fun and stuff, but it's just not. I'm not designed for it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I take two showers a day. I'm just not like some (laughs) filthy ass crust punk. Um, (laughs) And like we play, you know, we play party punk music, but I'm just so far from that. Um, So, uh, but yeah, like, uh, you know, I'm a neurotic maniac and uh, I don't like flying. Uh, I just really don't like traveling at all,
0: period. I empathize with that. I actually was semi relieved to hear you sort of expressing that because you know, it's a weird pickle to be in when you talk to, you know, like a a pedestrian or a civilian, you know, someone who doesn't take on this life mm-hmm. and you tell them about the places you're going and how you're getting there. You know, there's always this like, Oh, that sounds so cool. And with me, I'm the same as you. I, I'm as much touring as I've done in my life and as much traveling I have never not had crippling anxiety to start one. Yeah. I've never had to like not overcome that part of myself. That I was like, nah, you, you could just stay home too. Like you'll be fine, you know? Like just stay home, get a real job. Like it doesn't matter. And then, you know, you got to like push through that. So like how how did you have like those coping mechanisms on the road, especially being straight edge and stuff? I didn't, which is kind of like the messed up part. Like it was right.
2: always just this thing where – you know, I've toured, I started going on tour when I was like a senior in high school. Um, right. So I don't know, I was like 18 and I'm 37 going on 38 now. So it's been like 20 years um, and I was never great at it, but I just got worse and worse. And when Nightbird started like 11 years ago at this point, um, we were pretty busy from the get-go and that's really when things were getting kind of crummy. So it was like this perfect storm of being like, oh, right. like the point of my life where I most don't want to and should probably not be going out. Is mm-hmm. like the time when I'm getting busy, and I never, I never took proper medication. Uh, yeah. Like I didn't start, you know, I started taking Xanax like maybe five years into the band because I was just like, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I keep committing to these things, you know, four months in advance, and then four weeks leading up to it, I'm just an absolute mess, sure. and then I can barely make it to the airport, and then it's just like, what? Why do I keep doing this? What am I getting myself into? And it's just one of those things where I don't know. Like when I decide to do something, I. I just (laughs) stick with it no matter what. So (laughs) um, I would just be like, okay, well, this is what we do. And we're going to book, you know, tour. We're going to make three year plans and I'm going to follow through on everything and never miss a show. And yeah, there was no coping mechanism. It was just like, when I started taking Xanax, like that helped, but it was just like, oh, you're not supposed to take this every day. Like, uh, and that's what it would be. It's just me in like a dazed state. Uh, you know, for eight hours in the van and then kind of like flop out of the van and like kind of come to play a set. Uh, and I was like, this kind of sucks. Um, but that was the closest to a coping mechanism before I was like, oh, that's not how you're supposed to handle this drug.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, it makes sense when the, uh, the even ability to go play a show is off the table that it was, uh, relaxing for you. Again, I say that in a, a way that I understand it personally. Um, do you think that was part of the reason you like started to transfer over into booking? It was you know the ability to stay in punk and stay in music without hitting the road? Yeah, a hundred percent. I
2: mean, that was kind of uh, it was uh, again like another perfect storm situation. Like I got laid off from a family job that I was working at for you know fifteen years. Oh, uh, what kind of and stuff. The- I was doing hardwood floors and I was doing, you know, like tearing up carpets and tearing up concrete and loading, you know, wood into buildings and sanding and refinishing and stuff like that. Um, Yeah. And I had done that since I was like in middle school, I would do it in the summers and, uh, um, and, and it was like a good job. So like, you know, nightbirds could go, you know, I could take a half day on Friday. We could go to like, you know, Baltimore on Friday and then we could go to North Carolina Saturday, Richmond on Sunday, drive straight home, go to sleep at six, get up at seven. You know, like we were yeah. doing that shit for years. Everybody was working like regular full-time people jobs. And we were just like, all right, we have to do, you know, like, you know, just stupid like black flag mentality of like, <laughs> we have to do everything. And, yeah. uh, at the same time, not making enough money to actually live off of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I was doing that forever. And then I got laid off from that job. And at that point, I was helping the band Pairs book some stuff. Okay. And uh, it kind of was just this position where I was collecting unemployment for the first time in my life. And I was like, you know, because I was like unemployed, you know, just, there was no funny business. Like I, yep. I was out of a job. Sure. And uh, like I'm not equipped to do much. I dropped out of community college to go on tour. And hey, I was like, too. well, hey, all right, where'd you go to community
0: college? I did. I did uh, a stint at Raritan Valley and a stint at Middlesex County.
2: Okay, I went to Brookdale. So nice. Uh, yeah. So same kind of thing. You know, I went for like six months, and I was like, I suck at this, and I would rather be. <laughs> yeah. I would rather just be playing punk with my friends. And then, uh, so uh, yeah, it was kind of the thing where it was like, well, I can either I don't know start waiting tables at TGI Fridays, or like you know these few things that I consider myself like actually good at. Maybe mm-hmm. I could kind of. Thrive if I basically just believed in myself and the fact that I could. Because the other thing is, it's like you know, as an American, like we never really pump the brakes to be like, what do I want to do with life? What what can I actually do? What can I bring to the table that would make me happy? And maybe I could still pay my bills. Um, But like that portion of unemployment was the first time that I was like, you know what? Like I have just enough time and just enough money to maybe not wait tables for the rest of my life. Like. Uh, Maybe I could do something cool. So then I started booking Screaming Females and like all this stuff uh, because people just knew that I had like, you know, a good eye for that stuff and like a good, honest reputation and everything. And uh, yeah, the booking thing kind of like just took over quickly. Um, And it, it... fucking worked. And I mean, there's nothing in the world that could possibly stop live music from happening. So it seemed like a, a you know, a pretty <laughs> sure. safe bet. Yeah. Until it's like, last I could year. be a
0: plumber. I could, you know, <laughs> this, these, yeah, these industries will always be here. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I learned myself an honest trade and nothing could possibly <laughs> right. get in the way.
0: So. <laughs> Shit. What, what do you think? Like, wait, I want to backtrack a little. Cause that was really interesting what you said. So what do you think, like, as far as work and life goes, you know, you choosing to operate your own business and something you enjoy almost as like un-American, like, which is sort of true. How so?
2: I mean, I don't know. Somebody like me when I was in high school, uh, well, again, I was working for family. I was doing hardwood floors. And I always saw that as being like, you know, I'm not, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree. So if I can learn how to do this thing that my dad did and my dad's dad did, and, uh, I'm, it's going to be available for me. Like, you know, it's not like I have to go apply for this job. It's, it's right. going to be available to me yeah. as long as I want to do it. So like, you know, fuck it. I, I, I have to do it, right? Especially when it was like at the same time I was able to, to go on tour and um, do all, you know, my dumb punk stuff on the side and, you know, uh, make decent enough money where I could be like, you know, buying records, but still, you know, like have a regular person life. I have a daughter and, you know, yeah. we bought a house and everything. So it just seemed like it was going to be sustainable enough um, until getting laid off. And then I was like, Oh, I, I never, I did not account for that. right. Uh, right and that's right. when I kind of realized that I had no backup plan. I was just going to do this thing that I didn't like doing for the rest of my life because, you know, it allowed me to, to basically do the things I did like doing. So sure, when I was sure. finally, you know, the brakes were pumped and I was like, all right, I got a second to think about this. What if I were to do something I didn't hate for the rest of my life? <laughs> right. Uh, and that was a pretty weird realization. And like, I would stay up at night being like, can I actually do that? Like, why does it feel like I'm not supposed to do that? It feels like I'm doing yeah. something
0: wrong and weird, but like. Were you, you raised know, kind of in that mindset? Like, since you said it was like your father and father before him, this idea that you just, you know, this is a good job. You just take this job and work and put your head down and don't complain I mean, about it. A little
2: bit. I I was never really like forced in that kind of way, but I also just, you know, don't have a ton of confidence. Um, Like, again, I wasn't great in school. So it was just kind of this thing where it was like, well, what else am I supposed to do? Like if I I don't go, you know, serve fries at McDonald's, like I, I really don't know what else, like what else can I go learn? And on top of that, when it's already like, you know, my anxiety is awful. So it's like so many other things that potentially I could do. I was like, I can't go get a job where I'm going to need to be like traveling or I'm going to have to drive into the city, like any of that stuff, Mm. you know, Jesus Christ, I, (laughs) it just, there was just no possible way. Yeah. yeah. So when all of a sudden I was, the light bulb went off and I realized I could do something in my underwear, in my own house and like (laughs) with my friends and do something that I actually love doing. Cause I've always kind of loved like the Chuck Dukowski to black flag aspect of it, where it's like, you play an integral, integral role with bands that you really like, and you like it to help them strategize and be like a part of a team,
1: mm.
2: uh, but you don't actually have to leave your house. So right. it was kind of like this this brilliant thing that I was like, "Oh my god!" And then it fucking worked, which is what the, <laughs> the crazy part really was. <laughs> right. It really did. And again, there's just nothing that could possibly stop it once <laughs> once it got going. So
0: sure. <laughs> what would you say? Like you know, you've been in it a long time between you know booking your own bands and, and doing this as a career. What do you think, like, the most major differences from from now to 20 years ago? Be, besides for the obvious, you know, that we're emailing people instead of calling them.
2: I guess the fact that, um you mean, like, within the, the confines of, like, punk rock?
0: I suppose, yeah.
2: I mean, I guess for one thing, well, 20 years ago is a weird analogy. Because 20 years ago, what is it now? It's 2021. So... I mean, you're talking about like the one period in in punk where everybody was actually making money and putting out gold records <laughs> and stuff true, like that. Yeah.
1: So I guess it, <laughs>
2: in in that regard, it, you know, it, it's a it's a piss poor time to get into things. But <laughs> yeah. um, but I guess before that, any time prior to that, uh, you know, it was such it was small and no, you know, nobody was making money. I think at this point, like, there's a lot more basically just jobs because there's more people and there's more patrons and there's more money behind everything. Sure. Um, But uh, I mean, that was probably a pretty large difference, you know, like I can't imagine bands like, you know, the Necros or Negative Approach had like booking agents because they were just driving, you know, calling somebody in the nearest city and going and playing in like a basement to, you know, 50 or 60 people. Yeah. Uh,
0: think that probably started around then. It's crazy to think, right? At that time, you just assumed punk was now in the mainstream and it was just going to stay there forever, right? Like these bands got there, and you're like, "Oh, okay, cool." Now the avenue for punk rock is up there, and then yeah, and then the road kind of turned back around, didn't it?
2: No, and I mean, it was like such a secret thing at the time, and even if you, you know, were You know, even if you were privy to the information of what was going on in your town, if you lived in Boston and you knew about like SSD and the FUs, didn't necessarily mean that you knew that there was a scene in Austin, Texas. Let alone that there was a scene in Brisbane, Australia, or what the hell was going on in Japan. I mean, bands didn't go to Japan uh, until you know they weren't. Their punk bands weren't going there in like 1980. I think it was, I don't remember who, but it was probably like Chaos UK or something going there in like the mid, early-ish to mid '80s. Um, but that shit's kind of crazy to think about because I don't know, none of us were there
0: for it. But for you, like, do you remember? Um, well, I'm sure you remember since it's so impactful for you. What was your like first punk record, first punk show, and when did you when did you fall in love?
2: Uh, I was in like the seventh grade, going into the eighth grade, um, and I remember uh, go, like over that, I over the summer, like coming into school at the beginning of that school year, and somebody like had a mohawk, um, and they had like joined a band. It was my friend Eric Dean, uh, and I remember him like bringing uh, the first Casualties album for the punks to school, cool. and like seeing like a jarring photo of like punks with like, you know, leather studded jackets and like mohawks. Um, and then my dad would take me to the Collingswood flea market and yeah, going to Collingswood. And at that point I didn't realize that like bands had more than like more than one record. So I saw (laughs) Ramones Mondo Bizarro and I just thought it was like the only Ramones record. (laughs) And, uh, I (laughs) took it home and I was like, this is incredible. I get what everybody's (laughs) talking about. Yeah, Yeah, Um, And, uh, you know, it had all the classics that everyone knows, like censor shit um, and, uh, you know, all the stuff that was definitely not playing on the radio at that time. Right. Um, But, yeah, pretty. it was pretty quick from there. You know, it was a typical story of, like, uh, awkward kid, sucked at sports, you know, like minimal amount of friends, uh, couldn't really find my place in the world. So Finding Punk was kind of like the fuck you to having a place in the world you know it was just sure. like no this is where you land and it it felt right like pretty much immediately
0: that's awesome were you already into i know you're really into kind of some 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 oddball films and stuff like that were you into alternative culture prior to that or was punk kind of open the door to all that for you
2: yeah no i mean that was that was the beginning of getting into any sort of like weird freak stuff <laughs> right, um right. You know, before that, everything, uh, not that I wasn't like straight laced after that. Cause I was always, uh, I was always a nice, friendly, calm individual. But like, before that it was like, you know, my mom forcing us to go to like church on Sundays and kind of just like doing the shit you're supposed to do. And then you find punk and you kind of like learn about the world and you're like, oh wait, like a lot of this stuff is bullshit. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was the beginning of getting into like weird shit. What was your first show? first, first small show was like local bands, this band called the pasta like like Uh <laughs>
1: That's
0: a good one. Or like, you know, like pasta
2: but pasta That's a good and they one. Would, yeah, they would throw pasta <laughs> into the crowd. And they were playing, they were playing with a band called Society's Failure, which was like a street punk band from my school. So it was like the ska band from my school and the street punk band from my school were playing at the Stone Pony when the Stone Pony, still had, like, bleachers and, like, a caged-in bar. <laughs> right, um, yeah, right. And our friend's dad very drunkenly drove us to the show um, to go see these local bands. And then we went to that, and then I think we got, like, a postcard or something at that show for Warp Tour, which was going to be happening, like, in that parking lot, like, right. two weeks later. Sure. And then we went back, and that's, you know that was like Warped tour 98. It was like, you know, no effects, bad religion and rancid and all, and, uh, that kind of stuff. And that's when it went from within two weeks, it was kind of like, wow, this is cool. There's seven people here that are also punks. (laughs) And like, you know, most of these people are from our school to being like, Oh, there's 5,000 people here. Like this isn't a tiny, a tiny little thing, but then kind of, you know, like going back and finding like a small local, like niche scene to be a part of and kind of going from there.
0: It's so funny. We had Br- Brendan Kelly on maybe a month ago and we were talking a lot about, you know, the Lawrence Arms, you know, going to battle with the Warp Tour and that whole thing and, you know, coming at it pretty negatively. And I actually got some comments from people that were like, you know, I understand all that, but the Warp Tour is like this big thing for me. And honestly, consistently over the last month, I'm hearing these stories about a lot of people's like, first entry into punk or the idea that there was other punks around was sort of like via Warped Tour. It's kind of making me want to, I don't know, want to step back from that righteous platform a little bit, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess if I had five extra years on me, like that could potentially be my opinion, but you know, it was the same, it was the same thing with like the cheap, like Punk-O-Rama compilations and like, you know, the survival of the fattest compilations, like, getting, getting those for like, I don't know, $3 or whatever they cost at like the local CD store. Cause at that point, any other CD was like $17. So if I was like, Oh, I can check out 20 bands that I've never heard of between these two comps for a grand total of like $6. Uh, and then, you know, Oh, all these bands (laughs) just played this huge festival that I saw. Um, It was a pretty. uh, I don't know who the mastermind was behind all that stuff, but it was a pretty good one-two punch. I remember, like a lot of kids, like in my school, and like, um, like that kind of being their entry point because it was it was ripe for the picking. It was it was right there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I it kind of seemed to line up with sort of like skateboarding and snowboarding and X Games and kind of the whole alternative thing, just sort of like blowing up at once.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it wasn't necessarily everybody getting that stuff and then going out and getting like the Wizzo album and like <laughs> right. the Bracket album yeah, and yeah, like sure. the, the weird shit. A lot of it was just kids getting, you know, Punk and Drublick and Out Come the Wolves. And then the following year it, they were on to something else. Like I'm the dummy that decided 21 years later, you know, here I would be still listening to the same, <laughs> the same shit. <laughs> right. Doing the same exact thing. But like I said, when I get into something,
0: man, I uh, I don't back down. I feel it. Well, it's also the same reason there's like a legion of 37-year-olds out there with like one tattoo. Yep. You know, because they just had that little run and then yeah. and then backed out and went to college and became an insurance broker or whatever. Um, so, Brad, you got to check out for a second. This section's going to get a little Jersey-centric. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but you told me you're from uh, Atlantic Highlands area, right? So, yeah. What's your take? Uh, are you Central Jersey or are you South Jersey? Where are you landing on that? I've always said Central Jersey. Uh-huh. Uh
2: South Jersey. When I think South Jersey, I've always just thought like sketchy, sketchy South
0: yeah. Jersey. Jersey Devil, um, yeah.
2: Uh, I mean, the Jersey Devil would be like one of the better sketchy things <laughs> that South Jersey. I'm talking like you know bad yeah. bad people shit. Oh,
0: uh, are you talking like Philly? I got it. Yeah. No, no. I'm <laughs> talking no. so probably more like Nazis and stuff. Which I'm a talking lot more not na- yeah, yeah, I'm talking more Nazis. It gets, um, it gets pretty Nazi-ish. And the farther south you go in New Jersey.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know the proper statistics behind this, but I definitely remember hearing about, like, very high, like, clan population down there and shit like that. Ocean County,
0: for some reason, it's got this crazy history with it, yeah. See, that's even more north than I
2: would expect and hope, but that's not, like, shocking to hear. Right. Um, But, like, yeah, when I think South Jersey, I think, like, that kind of stuff. So I've always kind of lumped myself in. I've always just said Jersey Shore uh, because I can walk, you know, I can walk to the ocean. Um, and the town that I live in now that we have our home, like my parents live on the other, I grew up on the other side of the highway. So it's always kind of been like, I've always been around here. Um, so I guess I would lean more towards central.
0: All right. Well, that, that goes, well, thank you for also recognizing that we exist, which is a a problem as you know. Um, so can you, since you're from down there, can you answer this age-old riddle for me on what the hell the Jersey Shore sound is? The Jersey Shore sound? I I guess, again, that might depend on,
2: like, what era you're talking. Right. When I think, like, Jersey Shore, um, you know, I think, like, bands like Underdog, uh, you know, because there was, like, a Belmar, yeah, like, sure. Point Pleasant, Asbury Park, like, hardcore like, scene. Hogan's Heroes yeah exactly like all that kinds of stuff and then but then when i started going to shows um man there was like a a crazy like huge scene like bands would come to like Bricktown, and it would be better than their new york city show yeah yeah Uh, sure like kids were just absolutely crazy and everybody would just be wearing like flip-flops and like board shorts and like (laughs) you know stage diving and just going absolutely crazy when like you know, a band like Kill Your Idols or like Agnostic Front or something like that would come through town. Sure. Um, and uh, I remember shows like pool parties in people's backyards where like, you know, bands would come and play and it would just be like <laughs> mayhem. <laughs> right. uh, but uh, yeah, I, uh, that's, you know, that's my opinion of Jersey Shore. Jersey Shore hardcore, is what I think of the right. Jersey Shore scene.
0: So you're not going Southside Johnny. Uh, I'm not <laughs> knocking Southside
2: Johnny, but... <laughs> that's certainly not my
0: my era okay all right well this is a perfect time so speaking of people from your area which i consider the bay sorry not the shore and i even was speaking to your friend this morning about the fact that i think you're both from the bay so i'm giving this up a little bit Bay. all right (laughs) (laughs) come on it's the perfect opportunity to name your band the bay rats with a Z. (laughs) you know All, I suppose. Yeah, that's all yours, Brian. You, you can take uh, it. So we have a segment on the show on the program here called Mystery Friend, which okay. I'm gonna ask you about an incident that happened. And I'd like you to fill me in on the story and then tell me which of your mystery friends told me about this story. Oh no, this is some Nordwar shit. All right. So all right, <laughs> so you're on a psych to die tour. Okay. You heard about 2009. And you were pulled over, and apparently you being straight edge somehow got you guys saved from the police that night. <laughs> um I don't even remember this happening. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wow, oh. good mystery friend. <laughs> All right, well, let me fill you because I have more details. Maybe it'll spark. <laughs> oh, okay. okay yeah, apparently, someone on the tour, uh, Nixon, Jay Nixon, was getting questioned and was explaining that while some of you like to drink, our drummer, uh Brian, is straight edge, so he definitely didn't have any. And then apparently, the cop took this person into the cop car and started looking up stuff about straight edge and quizzing him,
2: and oh, then eventually man. let you go. I do vaguely remember that but i also have a pretty bad memory okay. that, that happened because i remember enough <laughs> about it uh to to agree i thought you were referring to a story where i got a band out of trouble with the cops because the cops pulled us over and then they popped the trunk and the only thing in the trunk was a guitar amp and in black duct tape on the guitar amp was cops eat shit i definitely got us out of going to jail that night wait tell Uh, me this that sounds even more interesting yeah
0: can you tell me what happened there and then we'll get back to this other one so exactly what
2: i just said is exactly what happened and then they called for backup Oh, and then of back up, they let the they let dogs in my car and the dogs ripped out. I didn't have like crazy, you know, like music speakers, but I had like regular car speakers. The dogs ripped out my speakers. Whoa! Uh, I ended up in the back of a cop car while they searched my car and then they didn't find anything. So they let us go. <laughs> uh, but that was definitely not the story that you're referring. I mean, Jay Nixon might have been there, but I don't think that that was it.
0: Where did that happen? That was in Middletown. Uh, oh, that was Jersey shit. <laughs> yeah, that was like we were pretty close to home. Was the other story we weren't in Jersey? Uh, no, I think you're on tour for the other one. Yeah.
2: Oh man, there's been a lot of funny. Like, it, it has never ended in an arrest, but I feel like it's always been like so goddamn close. Yeah, uh, and then somehow we just like goof our way out of it. I think like. Throwing the straight edge thing at cops always kind of fucks with them because then they're like, you know, they don't know what you're talking about, so all of a sudden they think that you're some kind of like religious weirdo, or they're like, what the hell? Like, what kind of weird cult do you belong to? (laughs) So in their heads,
0: they go like quickly from like drugs to body parts that they think they're gonna find.
2: Yeah, they're just like, (laughs) oh, like this. I'm just kind of freaked out, but I feel like it always kind of like maybe diverts their minds enough from whatever they were mad about sure. to just being confused and then just being like you know get the hell out of here
0: yeah it throws up it's it's like you know shining something shiny in front of a dog or something it just confuses them a little
2: yeah it always baffles them and it's like it's really not that weird of a thing like it's i don't right. know i feel like it's a counterculture that has been been around long enough that like
0: uh I don't know. I don't know why
2: it's always so mystifying,
0: but uh, it's just a different name. If you said you were like a good Christian, they would take it the same way, right? Uh, yeah, uh, but they probably think they're good Christians, so I don't. I don't know. <laughs> they might assume that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just got a kick out of the idea that apparently a cop had uh, Jane Exon in the car quizzing. Like look like googling or looking up different things about Straight Edge and quizzing as if Verifying his his Yeah, so pet. I'm guessing it was questions about like Ian Mackay and like, like that oh going my God. on in the cop car.
2: They come back to me quizzing me about Youth today. What shirt is Ray Kappa yeah, wearing right. on the back
0: cover? Uh, <laughs> name five bands with X's around their names.
2: Oh man. That'd be fun.
0: Yeah. That's pretty easy. Um all right. So, do you remember the people that were there to try to bring in this mystery friend for me? Oh, so Jay wasn't the mystery friend. He wasn't. No. Uh It was an outside observer of the city. Outside
2: observer. Wow, that's really that's really funny that somebody would like remember that enough to like bring it up and it like you know, it, it's not really a blip on my brain.
0: Uh And I guess the other hint is that I consider this person a bay rat. <laughs> is it jim norton it's not it's 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 old mikey Erg oh i hit up mikey for a tale and he said even though brian wasn't directly in this one this is funny and you should ask it oh but wow since that was a little <clears throat> anticlimactic i actually have a b story that's not a mystery friend that i want you to tell me though okay i overheard in a different interview you talking about a great uh a day off in LA, where you wound up at a Weird Al convention.
1: Oh,
2: see, Mikey could have told you about that because that was just <laughs> that was just me and him. Oh, come on, All that, right. yeah, that's weird. He didn't bring that up. You oh know, my God, Mikey's but, always going was...
0: for the deep cuts. You know, he doesn't want. He's trying to get the B side story. He doesn't want the A one. That's that's I'm just his have vibe. To ask you know? <laughs>
2: uh, I'm curious. The oh man, the Weird Al fest. So we. That was also uh, a band I was in called Psych to Die. We were on a West Coast tour. We had a day off. It was like a – it was a weird day. It was like a Wednesday in Los Angeles or something. And uh, what's the big L.A. State Fair – the Orange County Fair? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like a big Weird owl. I guess it wasn't an exhibit, but it was kind of like Weird owl based rides and like <laughs> – Uh, Like, yeah, there was a whole big section that was like dedicated to all this Weird Al stuff. Love that. So we were like, oh my God, we have to go to that. Let's look up the details. So while we're like looking up the details, we see this little thing that you can like, it's called Weird Al Fest. And it was like (laughs) down the street from the Orange County Festival. Okay. And it was, it was in like a Marriott hotel, kind of like an old, like a baseball card trade show or like a comic book show. Like a record show or something. We were like, whoa, what is this? And it was like they were going to show UHF and they were going to have like, you know, total C-roll characters from the film UHF. Cool. And they were going to be there to like watch the movie. And we were like, me and everybody else was like, yo, I am not spending $50 to go do that. And me and Mike were like, oh, we have to go. We have to go. Like, (laughs) what a crazy coincidence. We're in town for this amazing event. So Mike and I get dropped off at the Marriott and. We go inside, and first of all, I shit you not, there was probably 20 people in attendance. Oh, And, okay. and then there was, like, Victoria Jackson. Um, there was, like, four or five people from, from UHF, which was Weird Al, for those at home that don't know, is a terrific film. It's uh, so- written, written yeah. directed, and starring Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> we snuck in, which was, like, pretty shitty, but it was, like, $50. Uh, And we were on tour and we we got there like pretty late into the event. So I think the door person just like wasn't there, but we like, we like walked in and then realized everybody had like laminates and like bracelets. So we were just kind of like folded our arms and like walking around real suspicious. Like, (laughs) and uh, there were like, you know, uh, they give you a schedule with like all the day's events. (laughs) And we had, we had gotten there right in time for uh, it was going to be like an auction. And Ooh. it was the first time I was ever at an auction, you know, like yeah, right. do I hear 55? Do I hear 55? <laughs> 60, and like, there was just a dude with a gavel. Uh, I might be exaggerating or lying about this part, but here's how I remember it. No, a guy a with a gavel, a gavel, he probably had a gavel. He had do you even have gavels at auctions or am I just, <laughs> yes. that seems
0: like. Yes, yeah. you do. Yeah,
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. You so, would be sure, foolish
1: so. not to have a gavel. So I he know.
2: must've, <laughs> he must've had a gavel and he's banging the gavel and he's like, do I hear, so he's like, the next thing up for auction is, uh, oh, the people at home are going to make fun of me for not remembering what year poodle hat came out, but it was like <laughs> uh, 19 blah, 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 poodle hat tour jacket, and it was like embroidered, and it had, you know, it was like so cool, it was like a varsity jacket with like the le- leather sleeves, yeah. and he holds it up, and this kid in front of us, and me and Mike are like, holy shit, like. I did not think this is what this is. Like, this is the nerdiest thing I've ever seen. And granted, we thought it was cool. Um, it was like just so over the top. And the, the kid in front of us, who was probably like 10 or 11, like goes to his mom and he's like, I need the to, the, the poodle hat torch. <laughs> the bidding was getting up and up and up. And he's like, Do I have 225? 220? <laughs> All right. Do we, we have 250? 250, 250. Do I have 300? <laughs> And it just keeps getting out of control. And the kid the kid's like the kid the mom's like, but what about like your back your whole back to school clothing budget is like three hundred dollars and that includes like shoes and socks and underwear? And he's like, If I get the poodle hat tour jacket, I don't need anything else. Whoa. And power. And, move. and it was like, Go on once, three twenty five. Do I get three? Three twenty-five sold to the boy. <laughs> and like that kid won the poodle hat tour jacket. Yes. And uh, I mean I haven't looked on eBay lately. Maybe that was a steal in hindsight. I'm not sure, but I, at the time, I remember being like, "Holy shit!" Like my parents, you know, it was so hard to get like forty dollars for a pair of sneakers. <laughs> right, yeah, like that kid just got like a three hundred and twenty five dollar poodle yeah. hat or jacket. Yeah, I had a fifty
0: dollars it- Sears budget.
2: A season. yeah yeah. Like, yeah. In, in theory that kid was gonna wear and it was like fucking la it was probably right, so yeah. hot like most of the school year i'm like you're gonna wear like a leather like a can i don't even know what what's the other part of those varsity jackets made of? Like, straight it was, right,
0: like wool
2: yeah it was like wool and <laughs> yeah, leather yeah. uh but i mean it was dope as shit i thought i mean i thought it was the right move but still i was like man that was intense that's uh, so
0: funny yeah. So did he, did he around, get it automatically and get to like put it on and just walk out with it?
2: I mean again, I'm lying about this part. But in theory, he like walked up, the guy with the gavel a little yeah. slam still slamming the gavel. Yeah. Gave the kid the poodle hat tour jacket like he put it on right then and there and, and he like
0: strutted off like John Travolta. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. it fit it fit him perfectly. I don't know. I don't remember any of that. But in like I guess, I guess he probably got it. I don't know.
0: And you and Mikey didn't you didn't put any bids down on anything?
2: I remember both of us being extremely broke and poor on that tour. We lived together, actually, oh, okay. uh, and I remember both of us being like pretty, pretty broke um, out of the car. but yeah, yeah, that was us like sneaking into that, and we had just been to Prince's house on the way there, also Whoa. as a weird side story, and apparently not to get too going off track, but apparently, Prince had been renting this house that was like near the Orange County Fair. And he painted it purple and he was going through a lawsuit because he was just like renting this home. And the guy like Hi. went to visit his property and it was purple. <laughs> and he was like, yo, Prince, like what happened? And he's like, I don't know. Like I just painted it purple. Like, and yeah. like the guy was not stoked on it. It's like, did you not,
0: did you expect me to live here or not? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I'm be, Prince. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I wonder how that culminated. I bet he had to pay a shit ton of money to get it repainted or something.
2: I mean, if you're suing Prince, you're probably swinging for the fences. You know the guy isn't hurting for cash. And I mean, purple... clearly, he, yeah, I mean, he was in the wrong. There's like no sure. – there's no justifiable reason aside from the obvious that he is Prince. Right. That he should be allowed to paint someone else's home purple.
0: Purple's uh, tough too. We're talking primer and two coats.
2: I mean, it looked good too. It wasn't – it was not a shoddy job. It was done correctly.
0: I'd like to be a juror on that case. Yes. Yeah.
2: Another th- situation with a gavel.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so all right. So the same Mike Yerg had told me in general that the uh that the first science camp was a pretty, pretty wild bunch. Which oh I didn't God. necessarily remember. You know, we played with you all a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um and I imagine we had a conversation. We must have, right? Especially if you were drumming. Yeah. Uh, Like, yeah, definitely in passing, I remember like a a chat here or there. We probably had a super awkward conversation based on how we're both playing out in this interview. Um, Probably. (laughs) If we were in front of each other, we'd both have crippling anxiety, it sounds like. Uh, Yeah. But so any uh, highlights on, on maybe a for science story? One of the craziest things that happened to you guys since you had such a reputation for being wild? That was by far the most debaucherous band that I
2: <laughs> was ever and will ever. Whoa. And I have, okay. Yeah, I have no idea how, how or why I did that. They recorded a record before I was in the band that was called Way Out of Control mm-hmm. that I thought was like the greatest thing. I, and I still absolutely love that record. And it was enough where I was like, this record's so good and I want to be in this band so bad. And then I joined the <laughs> band and I was like, this... What have I done? (laughs) Like, yeah. And I mean, like, I wouldn't say stuff to throw those people under the bus, but like, oh, man. Yeah. Just like a total mess. Like, I remember we were going to Puerto Rico with the Ergs. We were going to play a couple shows. Okay. And and our flight was like four o'clock in the morning or something. So I had to go meet those guys in New Brunswick at like 1.30 or 2.00. And I figured I would like roll up and, you know, they'd be like, ah, you know, I went to bed at 11. I'm just waking up and feeling, you know, took a little power nap and I'm ready to go. They were just absolutely like rage partying and like nobody had like packed like no, like we didn't have merch. We didn't have gear like it was just like and basically I had to like corral them into a car and like drive them and like walk through through the airport. Like I don't know how that band got anywhere or did anything. <laughs> oh like they were just oh my god, just horrible.
0: <laughs> and you uh, realize that right, right, right away. It was more- I mean,
2: I had been friends with them, so I kind of knew that they were just like a mess. But um, but they were also charming and funny. And like I was to you know put together enough that I was like, well, I guess I could just do all the responsible
0: things, <laughs> right?
2: Um. But then, yeah, I don't know. It was always like we'd play a show and then we'd be like, all right, well, you know, we just played this show and we made like, you know, 300 bucks and it's it's like midnight and I have work tomorrow because it's Tuesday. So let's drive to Atlantic City and put the $300 that we just made on red and just see what happens and then, you know, it would turn into just like, just, I don't know. It was a disaster. I have I no like idea.
0: That. I, you know, that's a Wesley Snipes move. That's, I like it. I mean, it was cool, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, it, you said it, you put it on red. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, never. Yeah. No passenger 57 actually, references. Actually, that,
2: that's not true. The only thing we ever did was put it on even. Uh, And we actually, we had a song called Even. It was the first song on the album that I did with them.
0: But yeah, like. That is a strange bunch of people because I know very few people who play Even on a roulette board. I don't, yeah, I don't remember how. I think it was just like, I don't, yeah, I don't remember exactly how that,
2: but I remember we would just always yell it. And we would just be like the idiots in the casino at four o'clock in the morning, just like, Ethan, Ethan, like throwing money down and just like running from table to table and just like, (laughs) just being generally awful. Um, I remember, (laughs) this is just a totally off-base story. Okay. But I remember getting in trouble on, oh, okay. So this is a two-part ridiculous thing. We were going to play a show in New Hampshire Mm -hmm. and we stopped at some casino on the way. Okay, And somebody from the band got a salad. And they finished the salad and there was still dressing left in the bowl. And they went back and put up such a goddamn stink that I think we got thrown out of the casino because they were freaking out that they should get more free iceberg lettuce to balance out the ratio of dressing (laughs) because like somebody had fucked up. And to them just being like drunk and and me just being embarrassed. Yeah. And uh, then we got back in the van to go. And while we were like, you know, doing 70 up a highway... The back door of the van opens and a base, which was not in a case, that I think we were borrowing, possibly from Katie from Vivian Girls, uh, like flew out the back of the van and just like smashed down the street. And I just remember us like pulling over and like running down the highway, like dodging cars to grab the base, like and then driving home that night and we were borrowing somebody's van. And, like, we blew a tire. So instead of, like, changing the tire, we took the whole rim off and (sighs) we just threw it down this mountain. Like, not realizing (laughs) that, like, a rim on a car is, like, a really expensive (laughs) thing. So somebody had to come and, like, put a whole new rim and tire on the car. And then, um, I don't know, we just, I don't remember what we did. We put on some kind of, like, fucked up donut. And then... uh, like just drove it home and it was like Super Bowl Sunday and we like didn't give a shit. We were like, all right, let's just give the van back. And like this fucked it. It was just, I just feel like wow. I was always apologizing. That's like all that that band was for me was like constant state of terror and apologizing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. It was and, a disaster. And, I, I mean, I can't imagine lending out my van and then it coming back without the rim. I can't imagine
2: anybody lending us anything. I mean, in that one story, we somebody's base flew out of a seventy mile an hour vehicle and we launched somebody else's rim down a mountain.
0: And a George Costanza style tirade about about salad and dressing. I could only picture that, George doing that.
1: that I just happened. can't believe a, a drunk punk rocker like was complaining about not getting enough salad. Yeah, no. He was not
2: he was not pleased. And that happened again actually when we were in Puerto Rico. With shaved ice and like the cherry syrup that would go with the shaved yeah, ice. Delicious, like yeah. finishing the ice and being like, this is bullshit. Like, there's still so much wow. cherry syrup. Like, you owe me more ice. And being like,
0: what are you? This is like a dude with a streetcar. Like, what are you doing? What, what? Did this member have some kind of like Rain Man styled OCD or something? I mean, I don't think so. It's uh, like seven-year-old boy stuff. It
2: would, yeah, but it would just be so matter of fact. Like clearly, this person is in the wrong, and we'd all be like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It was just like, but that moment kind of like embodied my entire experience in that band.
0: Yeah, that's perfect. Well, thank you for going off track with that story. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, I'm going to go off track one other way, and then we're going to get back to the fun, okay? Okay. But I need to ask you something. So the song Life is Not Amusement is really, it's one of my favorite punk songs. Um, Oh,
2: thank you so much. Like
0: almost ever, I would say. Um, Because, you know, Nightbirds musically is just right up my alley. I mean, I could listen to your rhythm section play all day long. Uh, Me too. I love it. But, you know, there's a line in that song, you think I'm sick, then you better believe I'm facing day like an incurable disease, which I fucking love. That song struck a chord with me. But one of the things I'm thinking, you know, I I follow you on Instagram and I know you have a daughter, I have two kids. The thing I'm wondering about, because it's something I think about a lot now, is how do you reconcile, like, the way you feel and how you're projecting life to your kid? Like... I kind of shudder at the idea of like my kids reading my old journals and seeing like where my head was at, at certain times in my life. And you kind of have it like publicly. So how how do you, how do you reconcile that with like, with like what you're saying, but also trying to, you know, carve a decent Avenue for your daughter.
2: Shit. I didn't really think about that till like right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you just (laughs) fucked it up. No, I
2: don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know. I never gave it much thought. I do remember literally writing that song when she was like three weeks old and I hadn't slept in three weeks. And uh, <laughs> That'll do like, yeah. yeah, my wife was going through some really bad postpartum depression. And like, uh, it was pretty genuine. Life was not amusement. Uh, I love my daughter more than anything in the world. But the people that talk about like enjoying the first six months of having a kid is bullshit. Like that <laughs> – I, I can't yeah. think, there's not many, like I'd rather do a six month prison stint than like <laughs> have a baby from zero to six months. Like, uh, oh my God, it's just, it, it's, it's survival. Like that's all that yeah. it is. It's boot, it's boot camp. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess I don't really have uh, a great answer to that, uh, other than lying, but, um. Right. Uh, I don't know. I never. I never really. (laughs) I guess I really didn't give it that much thought. Uh, Just assuming that she would just never hear it or care because that (laughs) probably happens more times than not. Like we're all afraid that, like, oh my god, my kid, like my kid's not going to want to hear my fucking record. Like by the time she's like fourteen and she's like, you know, she's going to want. She's not going to want to hang out with me or like listen to my band. She's going to be so embarrassed by my band's existence, right? Um, But I guess if she if she checks it out, then you know i'll do the only thing i can and and blame it on her pretty much
0: <laughs> i love that i mean the one thing i think about is that like you know a, a bunch of the things we've discussed in this episode which are kind of the things that maybe like you know turns you punk to begin with right it's like this discontentment and feeling out of place and kind of being able to see the truer sometimes more negative side to things and Even though that's reality and even though it's my reality, it is my instinct to be like, all right, what do I have to do to keep that away from my kids? You know, like, what do I have to do to keep that imagery and that feeling of discontent? Because even though at this point I'm 40 years old and I survived to this point, so I can look back on it with a bit of a badge of honor, you know, but like a lot of people I know took the same course, and didn't exactly make it out the other side, you know? So that's where yeah. I wonder. I'm like, I'm like, all right, I love punk, I love hardcore. Half the shit I wear and have on my walls is just this really like gnarly kind of negative imagery and stuff. And I'm sure. like, how do I do that? Which I think is rad and important, but also kind of like be like, you know, there is this other path if you want to just be happy. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I
2: think it took like actually having a child and actually experiencing all of those things to kind of be like, oh, yeah, because you don't don't think about that stuff until you go to pick up your daughter from school and you realize the shirt you're wearing is wildly inappropriate. Like (laughs) something that you're like, this isn't weird. My shirt says group sex on it, but there's nothing (laughs) odd about that. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, shit. Like it's been a long time since I've had to care what anyone else thinks. But like my daughter is going to be in this school system for – Quite a bit of time, and I don't need these people thinking that I'm a complete maniac. Um, But you know, I also I remember very vividly, like the first time I was kind of confronted with, um, I guess, with the point of your question. And I was I was taking my daughter to the park, and she was probably like, I don't know, two and a half or three or something. And she was like, "Are there going to be other people there?" Mm. And I was like, "Well, yeah, it's a park, so probably." And she was like, "I don't like people." And I was like, you are spending too much time with me. You are like, (laughs) clearly you are like listening to me say things. And it was definitely an eye opener where it was like, oh my God. Like, oh yeah. Okay. I I get it now. Like I'm a parent and you are a child and I need to, uh, I kind of need to like check myself sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They pick up on all that. Right. Yeah. I I forget sometimes I'm at like a playground and I'm trying to like, you know, there's like a super normie like mom there or something. And I'm just like, yeah, so what's up? What's your kids? You know? And I start being nice and I'm like, why do I feel like this person is pensive towards me? Yeah. And and then I like look over at myself and I'm like, Oh, right. I'm like nearly six, four giant mustache (laughs) wearing like a giant, (laughs) like skull on my shirt, black jeans that are ripped to hell. I don't even notice, you know what I mean? My jeans are ripped, like shoes are tattered. I'm like, I look like some weird, like homeless uncle, like bringing his kid to the playground. No wonder they're a little reticent, you know?
2: (laughs) But I think it's also like the only people that I have like made friends with or that I've like socialized with for the past, you know, basically post school years are like other like punk adjacent people, whether it's like at shows or on tour and like kind of like. I think just the way that we socialize with one another is different than regular people socialize. Yeah, so even just right. going to a park and being like, Hey, what's going You know, just like talking to somebody as if, just the way that we would like a stranger at a punk show. Like, I think people think that's weird. And it's like, I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just trying to like, say what's up because you're here and I'm here and we're both like adults living on this planet. (laughs) Right. Uh, But they're like, leave me alone. You freak, you know? And it's like, Oh, all right, whatever. And it's funny because it's like, really, it should be the other way. Like Mm -hmm. I should want nothing to do with you. And you know, uh, you're just like (laughs) some normal, normal person that I feel forced to talk to. But like, Ah, what, am I
0: not going to run my mouth? like It's yeah. it's what I do. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. I feel like I'll be like two minutes in and I'm doing, I'm like, all right, in my head, I'm like, all right, you're doing good. This yeah. is total normal person conversation. You haven't freaked them out yet. Like, keep it straight. Like, you're good. And then all of a sudden, I'll just be like, yo, that dude's a fucking douchebag, right? Or like something. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, I did it. Yeah. I did it again. I showed my true colors. Now they yeah. know who I am, you know? <laughs> yeah
2: yeah 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 even when we make like new neighbor or like towny friends i definitely realize that i am just more, uh, more of an open book than like a regular yes, person right. would be and i'm like i don't give a shit like uh, yeah. i have nothing to hide like who who cares we're all gonna die but like <laughs> right. uh most people just i don't know
0: that's just not how civilians act yeah it's strange i don't like it all right now back to fun <laughs>
2: yeah that
0: was fun it was. I, uh, I. I. You know what? When I was trying, I saw an old interview with you where somebody like asked you your thoughts on death, and then they were like, you had a very bleak answer. Was it bleak?
2: Yeah. And then that they were like,
0: cool. yeah, it's just like fucking bleak and death and nothing, right? And then apparently there was just like crickets in the interview. I'm like, we don't. We don't have to do that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, like we do That's fine. I had heard that the nightbirds love Saturday Night Live. That's true. you love the skits, and some of the videos are partially inspired by it. So say randomly, you didn't know this, but Lauren Michaels, big Nightbirds fan. Okay. Been been checking out your videos, thinks, thinks you all do great work. And in the spirit of kind of like a lonely island or something, he gives you a ring. He says, Brian, I'll give you a five-minute spot this Saturday. All the boys can be in it. What do you do? Like, we have to do a, a, a
2: skit or we're going to yeah. play
0: music? No, no, no. You're doing a skit.
2: We're doing a skit. I mean, we could do skits for days. Like, <laughs> we talk about stop being a band, like, not being a band that plays music anymore and just starts putting out, like, just does, like, a TV show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I can't give you a specific storyboard on the spot right now. Yeah, but I thought you might have any- had one in
0: mind.
1: I think you already I think you already gave it to us, dude. Isn't it the one where they take your drummer back into the squad car and grill him on, on straight edge? <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. That's we- a skit. That sounds like a skit right there. All right, yeah. We- so let's take that scenario, right?
2: So, <laughs> oh wait no no no, yeah. no. can i all right, i got yeah. one i got one all right yeah this is stuff that we actually talk about this isn't this isn't one of mine so i'm going to give credit where credit is due okay mike, mike catalano nightbirds guitarist yeah um called me the other day he's like all right i got a skit i'm like all right hit me so he's like all right he's like <laughs> um i can't remember the exact premise but it was something along the lines of like there was a middleman like brokering this trade deal a record trade deal. And he's like, you're going to love this guy. He's a huge Misfits fan. He's got like these really, you know, you're going to love what he's got. And it's going to be cool. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to bring my best stuff. So I bring like, you know, the first Misfits single, Cough Cool, like sold on eBay recently for like, I don't know, $8,000. Uh, and oh. like the se- the second single sold recently for like, uh, like $9,000. Wow. Uh, and I'm an obnoxious record collector. So these are records that I I have. And so it's like I show up to the meeting and I'm like, all right, man, like I brought the heat. Like this guy better have some really cool shit. And like this other dude like comes in like trench coat and like black glasses and like a suitcase. And he like rolls up and then he busts out like the super limited version of like American Psycho or like whatever the goofy later. But see, this kind of stuff is so niche and only we <laughs> think it's funny to be like right. – uh, just like goofing on, uh, on shit. Like I can't, what's the pro, uh, project something? Uh, there's some kind of funny like Misfits record. Um, yeah. I don't know how well that one translated, but I think once we have our shot at SNL, like you need the visuals to be able to see it and really understand it, but it's going to be good.
0: Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Who is So you'll be the collector. Who's going to be that middleman?
2: uh probably just somebody else in our band i might not even be the collector i might just be i might not play myself because that's kind of boring
0: that's true getting character yeah. Well, yeah. well speaking of being a, a an obnoxious record collector your words not mine um no you're right you've you've been involved in the uh the punk rock hall of fame and and getting that set up um i know you probably can't get too deep into it because it's not open yet but want to see like how uh how you got involved in your role and what's the task of uh, curating been like?
2: Yeah. So it's, uh, it's not, it's not the, really the hall of fame because it's like inclusive to anybody and everybody that ever played a single show. It's, uh, it's called the punk rock museum. Oh, okay, uh, okay. it's going to be in Las Vegas. It's a physical, uh, space. It's like a 12,000 square foot building. Um, and basically we're curating it from 1974 to current day it's gonna span um, worldwide it's gonna like be all over the place and yeah I don't know how much I can really talk about it but um, I can say that I'm pretty confident it's gonna be cool like we uh, we've gotten some really ridiculous stuff and we're trying to like bring in items that really tell a story so it's not really gonna be like records, you know, there'll be posters and there'll be like original flyers and that kind of nerdy stuff. But like, um, we want some really bizarre stuff that can also serve as like a roadside attraction where somebody who doesn't know anything about punk Mm. could come in and like see something and just be like, what the hell is this? And, uh, uh, which is tough. It's tough trying to find stuff that like, you know, satisfies like the purest punk rock nerd, and somebody with minimal knowledge about this stuff. So, right, you have to uh, find
0: like a narrative, like a story.
2: Yeah, well, like like any other museum, you're going to go in, and there's going to be stuff where you're like, "Oh, I know that," and then there's going to be stuff that you've never heard of or you don't know. And the idea, the idea is to like learn stuff and right. see, sure. you know, actual artifacts and like, uh, you know, we're going to put the history out there. And um, is it going to be, know, be hope-
0: done like uh, like chronologically?
2: It was so far, I don't think that's been fully fleshed out or determined, but. I think the idea is for it to be curated by um, decade, um, so you know, seventies, eighties, nineties,
0: and today. I love it. Uh, and and who's the uh, who's the greatest person you've gotten to speak with so far? Me, I mean, probably. Yeah, you, probably you. <gasps> yeah. Look at that. Well, you are on the phone with Brad Goop right now. <laughs> we haven't spoke yet. That's true, Brad. What do you have to put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You
1: mean the Punk
0: Rock Hall of Fame? Oh, I'm sorry, Punk Rock Museum. We already (laughs) because I got nothing for the other one. Yeah, (laughs) you put in one of your cool wristbands or your leather pants Uh, from the '80s. Yeah, I'd I'd I'd
1: I'd put up my red, white, and blue wristband that's was inspired by Sid Vicious, but that uh, oh, that's cool. I like that. Or maybe maybe we can get Lint to donate his, which I gave him when we started the tour. That would be the cool one. That'd be like, that's like three generations, right? I love that. Sid Vicious inspired. And um, yeah.
2: Well, here, so here's just like a little side story that also has to do with Sid Vicious. Um, And again, whenever I do something like this, I'm like, what can I say? And what can I say? But this is already like, this is on the liner notes of an album, but there's a band called The Worst. And their claim to fame is, like, the worst were first. And they were, like, a New Jersey hardcore band that started in, like, 77, 78. uh, But they don't have any recorded documentation from that time period. Uh, But it was, like, them and the Misfits, according to, like, the worst singer, were, like, you know, the first bands out of our area. And the singer would, like, go into the city and, like, hang out with all these people. And one night, he went up and he was hanging out with Sid Vicious. Uh I guess he wasn't ha- Sid Vicious was there and he was tasked with finding drugs for Sid Vicious. Okay. And the dude was wearing this leather jacket that is currently hanging in my closet that needs <laughs> to go to the museum. Uh and it had these like padlocks on it and Sid was like, "Oh, I, le- I like your locks, mate." Uh apologies for that awful impression, but
0: <laughs>
2: but he commented on the dude's locks and then uh he was, this dude was tasked with going out to get like drugs for Sid and Sid's crew. And he came back, and he gave Sid drugs for what was supposed to be like ten people, and Sid didn't realize, and he took them all, uh, like right then and there, and he OD'd, and he ended up in the hospital, and he got uh-huh. stomach pumped, and like, um, but basically, like this band, the worst, they got banned from like New York, like they got banned from Max's Kansas City and CBGBs, and. For like, places. for like,
0: almost killing Sid Vicious.
2: Yeah, for trying to kill Sid Vicious, and the wow. kid was just like, he was like, I was told to go get him drugs. I got him drugs. He wasn't supposed to take all of them. Like, I didn't know <laughs> he was just gonna like, you know, like comment yeah. on my my padlocks and then take I all of just my drugs. Take all
0: of them. Where um, was where was that bad from? Uh, the worst. Yeah, were they like North Jersey, like Misfits, like
2: like Long Branch, like Jersey? Oh.
0: Uh, yeah, like uh Central Jersey. Wow,
2: I didn't. Who know was yeah, this guy?
1: Yeah. Do you remember the guy's name? Which I, I the do, worst guy.
2: and I guess there's no reason I can't say it. I mean, <laughs> that almost sounds... Like, he's still alive, and that's a story about a time he almost killed somebody, so I'm going to not say his name. But his name is, like, very available on the internet because there's okay. only four people in the band, the worst, and three of them are alive, and he's one
0: Well, I um, figured I would... Uh, I'd give you a Google because I was like, if I can find it that fast, you clearly can say it. But when you Google this... A, no, bunch of find awful, it. Like... a bunch of awful <laughs> lists show up the 20 worst bands of all time yeah the twenty ten 10 well, worst bands of the 90s i see mark mcgrath a number of times really quickly
2: oh <laughs> that's rough and that, but you know what's crazy is it's also like from New Jersey. A, as long as punk has been a thing and for as long as the internet has been a thing like i think we just take for granted that all of the information is already out there and what right. else could possibly be out there yeah but like there's so we are basically at like a point where it's like yo there's first generation like punk rockers that are not going to be around in mm. 20 years In 20 30 years we're going to be looking back and being like oh i maybe uh, d- d- you know my math might be off but basically in like not an insane amount of time we're not going to be able to have first hand conversations wow. with yeah. the people that were around in 1976 and That's 1977 really and 78 yeah. Yeah. And to be able to hear stories from those people firsthand. Now you got to take any of that shit with a grain of salt, but stories like, like that specific story I just told, like that has been uh cooperate. like that's a real story that people can back up and yeah. verify. And like, I, the idea that we can have that dude's jacket with that story in a museum that somebody can walk through and be like, you know i don't know who this band is but i know who sid vicious is i know who the sex pistols are sure and the fact that this happened and then what's even crazier is when the worst got banned from new york they they did a, like a power pop single uh called the under the name of the bad guys and that's kind of what got their door back into the clubs because oh. they would send the single to the clubs and the clubs would be like all right you can come play and then they would play a set of worst songs wow um, I think shit like, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that like keeps me up at night because I just think it's like the greatest thing in the world. And I like the history of all, there's just so much incredible history for this like 50 year subculture. And the fact that there isn't a place designated to be able to go and learn about this stuff, I mean, like, it kind of just has to exist. Like, again, this stuff is deteriorating and vanishing, and these people are deteriorating and vanishing. And, uh, Like, you know, I'm glad that it's kind of finally being put together and resources are being used to, uh, I don't know, to like educate people and to learn. I think this shit's just the coolest thing in the world. So hopefully other people feel the same way.
0: Totally. I just imagined the other day I was thinking, I'm like taking myself back to my mom's apartment, trying to think of the walls and the way I think and stuff. And I'm like, no shit, man. You were literally using your old encyclopedia to look up Cointel pro. Cause you just heard it on a propaganda record. <laughs> and then yes. I'm staring at like this giant six foot rage against the machine poster with literally a, a burning fucking monk on yep. it. You know what I mean? Like, like with this ultimate sacrifice, like you are around these such serious imagery and such serious stuff. Um, yeah, really. It's not a surprise, I guess.
2: It at least offers some perspective that otherwise who knows when and if you ever uh, are like for like, I don't know. I know tons of people. And again, it comes back to like the cop being like straight edge. What's that? And it's right, like, well, right. I don't know. Maybe if it's some shit that you found when you were in high school, you wouldn't be a fucking cop. And you'd <laughs> right? be like, yeah, you know, and it's <laughs> like, you know, people that are like a vegetarian, like eat turkey. It's Thanksgiving. Yeah. And it's like, you know, these are like people that have just never, you know, taken a beat to think about like, oh, yeah. Maybe there are things that are worth considering or, you know, uh, you know, again, like pretty just gen pop, like punk thoughts. But I don't know, like before that, it it makes you be like, oh, maybe I don't believe in war. Maybe I don't believe in right. killing animals. Maybe I don't sure. believe in this. Uh, and who knows, again, who knows when or if your eyes would ever be open to the kind of shit that like, you know, I specifically remember being like, this is the first time I am facing the possibility that there is no God and being, you know, when you're 13 or 14 reading that on a record, you had never thought of its possibility.
0: Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Like that's completely insane. Sure. I mean, I certainly uh, wasn't learning what Cointel Pro was in school. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, no. you you were not. It certainly wasn't. That's awesome, man. So, all right. So, I don't know who would call you for this job. It's not Lauren Michaels, but I want to know your punk rock Mount Rushmore. I want a singer, guitar player, bass player, and drummer. Hmm. Man. Well, when I think about things like and this, this is like I your think- personal favorite. It's not like on the, the grand scale, you know?
2: No, yeah, but I think when I think of things like this, maybe it's a cop out, but I am, uh, I think it's more absolutely insane. And I'm going to use the band The Damned, the original Damned lineup right. sure. for my for full, like right there. There's my four. There's my Mount Rushmore.
1: <laughs> okay. Because I think yeah.
2: that it's absolutely insane. And it's kind of like The Beatles, like how those people found each other and like how that band um, just, take away one of those elements and it would have been something completely different, Mm, but you mm -hmm. get this like magical configuration. uh, And I think there's so few instances that that happens in music that I think the original damned lineup um, of Brian James, Rats Gabies, Captain Sensible and Dave Inean, like Jesus Christ, like what an absolutely absurd group of musicians, but for them all to be together, same time, same place, and create the music that they created and like, oh man, like that that shit blows my mind. So I think I would rather do it in an already constructed manner than to pick uh because I mean I could certainly do that. There, you know, yeah, sure. Um but I right. think that there's already some pretty brilliant Mount Rushmores that have naturally found themselves that I think is like pretty, pretty magical. So
0: I, I think, think I want to go with something that already exists. I think the dam would make a great Mount Rushmore. Where are they from? The original, where could they? Where could they chisel that into stone? I mean, my
2: house would be. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I, I'd wait. I'd wake up and salute the damned every morning. <laughs> yeah, why not? That's but awesome. like the original Ramones lineup too. I mean, yeah, like sure. Jesus Christ, where could you find nah. four other absolute characters? Yes. where like they're cartoons, but at the same yeah. time, they somehow managed to make like not one or two of the greatest pop songs ever constructed,
0: but like Like all of the greatest
2: pop songs ever constructed. Um, And, uh, oh man, I don't know. As time goes
0: on, the Ramones get more and more impressive. The thing thing I think about a lot with the Ramones is how, you know, bands come up and how many pictures have you seen of bands, right? Where you're like, okay, here's another five white dudes wearing this shit. I can't tell this one apart from this one to this one to this one. The thing I I'm fascinated about by the Ramones is like how in the mid 1970s in Queens did they come up with that? You know, just like the style and the look and like, and being so confident about presenting yourself that way fully, you know, back in those days, like it's really like some seriously revolutionary shit.
2: Yeah. And the fact that it's 45 years later and still fashionable, like, yeah, right? what? <laughs> like, how, how does that happen? Yeah,
0: you can still get away with that any day of the week. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're, if you're cool, if you're cool. <laughs> right. So roll credits, your last one sort of had a, a bit of like a ready to die Machiavelli sort of title. Is there uh <laughs> is there anything brewing in, in Nightbird's land? We have not all been in the same room since November
2: 2019. Okay. Uh, we, we played a show supporting the band Lifetime mm. uh, in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Right. Um, and then our guitar player moved to Australia for, one of our guitar players moved to Australia for a little bit, and then COVID happened. So uh, everybody is, like, back at their regular homes. Uh, I got, like, a little home studio set up, and I've been writing a little bit. Nice. Um, But I think we all just went, like, so far in our own directions, um, just kind of, like, you know, hustling to make money through COVID and hustling to stay occupied and uh, entertained during all this stuff. Um, And we weren't going to do, like, virtual show, you know, like, I don't think any of us are, like, equipped to do that kind of stuff. (laughs) So we just, uh, you know, I really... Stepped up my game, like, buying and selling records. Like, that was my thing that I was doing for, like, money, but it was also my entertainment. Right. Um, and, you know, again, I'm just a collector nerd. So, like, people were either doomsday selling or doomsday buying right, uh, yeah. in, in the past year. Huh. So, it was, like, kind of, you know, interesting to be in the middle of that. Uh, and then the museum stuff happened, and that's been, like, really fun and exciting and uh, definitely takes a lot of time. Sure. Again, I'm doing all the school stuff with my daughter. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's again, it was like, uh, my second time of being like properly unemployed to like pump the brakes and be like, what else? Like, what could I do? Right. What would I actually enjoy doing right now? Not that I don't enjoy doing Nightbirds as much as I loathe traveling and touring. Like (laughs) I I love, you know, getting together with them and writing songs and stuff like that. Um, but it's been a good opportunity just for like. Pumping the brakes and um, just being like, what do I actually want to be doing? And, uh, you know, weird opportunities kind of like popped up. And uh, yeah, I like, I like what I'm, I like all the stuff I'm doing right now. You know, like I get up in the morning and I'm like excited to do stuff. It's, it's pretty cool.
0: I'm happy to hear it, man. That's awesome. Well, all right. I've had you for a long time. Should probably, probably start wrapping it up. I'd like to ask, The one last thing, if, if you're, you know, during this time where people are pretty down, are you, uh, listening to any music, new bands, podcasts, any books, anything like that, that you'd, uh, recommend to the world right now?
2: Uh, I saw also during COVID, I started working with my boy, Chris Gethard, who's a comedian and an actor he's doing, uh, again, for the Jersey people, I think it transcends Jersey. Um, but it's called uh, New Jersey is the world, yeah, and it's a new podcast that he's doing that I think is like really, really awesome. Cool. Um, so in the world of podcasts, I highly recommend that. Like I said, I think you'll—it's a no-brainer that you'll love it if you're from New Jersey. But I, I also think it transcends
0: beyond New Jersey. Well, I, I think love Chris. Would, he's guys, yeah, that guy's a riot. I love Chris. Yeah, so, he, yeah, he's
2: great, and it's been like again, like so fun getting to be like a part of his team and like strategize and figure out like what we're going to do and, you know, be the Chuck Dukowski to his black flag. <laughs> right. Um, awesome. So yeah, I've been, you know, a lot of that. And then, um, yeah, like tons and tons of music. I definitely used COVID as my time. Cause also, so my daughter is seven now. Um, and after she was born, it was definitely, I found that there was a lot less opportunity to listen to music just yeah. because, you know, my turntable's near her bedroom and sure. I'm just not like blasting music except when you're in like the car or something like that. Um, but between like the museum and between the newfound free time, definitely going back and just listening to like all sorts of weird, you know, 70s and 80s, there's just always new stuff to like discover sure. uh, and have like a new favorite band every week, cool. um, which is just, Crazy, what's what's little... your
0: most recent like unearthing?
2: There's a band called I got this single the other day. It's a band called It's either Big Boy or Big Boys, and it was like <laughs> a third a thirteen year old kid from New York City in like 1983 or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, that just put out this song, and the song's just about like rocking. Whoa! It's like <laughs> it's so it's so sick. It's just this like thirteen year old kid who's just like singing this like cool like uh really basic kind of like punk rock song but just the kind of thing that you're like how did I not know this existed and there's a YouTube video to go with it uh I'll send you the link it is like
0: yeah
2: yeah it's like it's like big boy Derek something but like these singles were all unearthed and Uh, they like sell for a couple hundred bucks and a friend of mine traded me one and it's the kind of thing where you're like, "Am I actually going to like this, or am I going to like, you know, just because of what right. it is?" Yeah. And I think I just like it because of what it is. But sure. it's uh, it's
0: it's definitely worth the listen. It's pretty ridiculous. That's awesome. I will definitely check that. Please send me that link, Brad. Maybe I we can uh, intro the episode with a little of that audio.
1: Oh,
2: cool. oh yeah, <laughs> that's a good. People would be like, "What the fuck like, what is it? this?"
0: Like, welcome to the Nightbirds. Welcome to Brian. Here you go. Yeah. I mean,
2: if they like to rock, they're going to like it. <laughs> well, but I, you got to like to rock.
0: I think most of the going off track listening audience likes to rock. I would imagine. Yeah. So they rock. Yeah, they rock. <laughs> well, we think they do. All right, Brian. Well, thanks for taking all this time with us, man. I really had a blast talking to you. I'm glad we finally got to do it. And I apologize in advance for asking you to do this like nine months ago and then not hitting you up for like six. And then it was literally like, Hey, want to come to the city and
2: do this thing? And I was like, I don't know. There's this weird virus going around. I'm not (laughs) sure going to the city right now is a great idea. Yeah, And, uh, yeah, it was like that COVID was that fresh. So no, no apologies necessary. Okay.
0: Well, maybe one day we'll, we'll chat in person and I appreciate talking to you. you. You got a great mind.
2: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys having me. I had a really nice time.
0: My wife thinks I have imposter syndrome. Oh, really? I think we all do, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, I've been diagnosed. <laughs> I've been diagnosed in the home. That's what I, I mean.
1: I told my daughter the other day. I was like, you know, you could pick out the most famous person you know who just seems like, you know, whether it's – she's a big, like, Lady Gaga fan. I'm like, I'll bet you anything that Lady Gaga every night goes to bed just scared to death that, that they're going to discover
0: that she's a right. fraud. Well you – know? <sighs> That's part of it, right? Yeah. It's like part of what drives like creative people is the idea. I don't know. I think I actually learned that at some point, which is like, yeah, I don't think I belong here. Right. But after I got there. I went, I don't think any of you belong here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like, like, that's, luckily I got to see behind the curtain, you know, which yeah. is like, oh, besides for, like, Prince right. and, like, a couple other super unique people, right? we're all imposters. Right. Like, even these people right. who don't think they are.
1: Yeah, there's literally, like, five people. And they're exactly. the ones that make you, they're the ones that, like, I remember anytime I would see Brian Setzer play guitar, I was like, I'm I'm not going to play guitar anymore because I don't even I'm not even yeah. it's not even the same instrument. It's almost like, like I don't know what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, I think it's almost like the you know, people would call it like a psychological issue or something like an imposter syndrome, but at the same time for a musician or an artist, it's kind of humbling, you know, this idea that like no, you don't belong here. And the second after you put something out, it doesn't matter anymore. And it all matters what you're going to do next. And if you're going to make it better, if you're going to make it worse, it's not like the pressure's off. And I think the people who think the pressure's off, who think they belong, they suck. They suck. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like there's something to it, you know? So I don't want to tell people to have an imposter syndrome, but every step of the way for me with like any success I had, I was like, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I don't belong here. But then I'd think about it for half an hour and I'd go, You don't belong here. Neither do you. You're a fucking Jamoke. Like, like you're one baseball practice away from being a total fucking jock. You know, like, 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 this is, you know, you just walk around these rooms and I don't know. No one knows anything. And it always comes back down to the Operation Ivy lyric, right? All I know Which, is that I don't know nothing. Right. It's, it's <laughs> prophetic. It might be the smartest lyric in music history. That's it. I believe that. I believe in it. I bet Brian likes Operation Ivy. So Brian, I don't think he has an imposter syndrome. He just knows no. exactly what the deal is. You know? it's like, I'm a punk singer. This is what I can do. I'm going to book these bands, raise my seed. I know it. I know it. But he's a cool guy. Another one of those interviews I got off, and I'm like, "Oh, I hope I can hang out with Brian one day, yeah, he does he is that kind of guy yeah. I also was raised going to those record shows that he talks about, you know, like because my mom was a collector and she was a queenie, you know, and used to take me to these record shows. It would be like our weekend would you know our Saturday would be like, "Oh, we're going to the Marriott in Springfield, you know for a record show in the basement, you know um." And I would walk around and I was little, I was getting into skateboarding, but I was always sort of fascinated with like these guys who ran the tables and it was always (laughs) men. I'm not, it just always was. It was always men. And there'd be these dudes who were like, you're like, they're kind of cool. Like they wear cool clothes, they have cool band shirts, but they're like kind of nerdy and awkward and they just know everything everything about music like possible like you can ask right. any question and i used to go up to those tables and be like huh ah, i kind of like um like the offspring can you recommend anything you know <laughs> and then before i know it i have like eight like b-sides of the craziest shit that's right on point point. Right. and i finally realized who these guys are they're brian <laughs> and they're like they're my buddies little mike and jeff who run black gold <laughs> and these these people who are like they're so committed to a romance that they know will never pay them. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like uh, when you decide to be like a black metal musician, you know, you're capping how far you can go in music just by making right. that choice, you know? <laughs> right. So I really like love and respect the people who do this because they're like, they're making that choice to continue as something they love be- just because they love it. You know, there's no other thing. And and with all the three people I just talked about, there's this real feeling that if they don't do it, it's going to go away. It's going to disappear, that these are like historical relics that need to be,
1: you know, taken
0: seriously. And I I just appreciate it so much. And I I think Brian's the perfect person to be in this punk rock museum because you need People with that kind of sensibility who actually... They're monks. Yeah, they're They're monks. They're monks. We've talked about this before. They're the monks. They are. They are. It's super cool. And I, for one, appreciate it. I could never do it because my records look like shit. They do. They're all (laughs) dog-eared and bent. Things are lost. I'm not good at taking care of my records like that. I'm not OCD enough, but I do respect it. Brian's a super cool dude. Um. I just love how committed he is to the whole thing and uh yeah, I can't wait to hear more of his music and what he's up to in the future.
1: Yeah, and speaking of that, you can check in on him Instagram at Brian Gorsigner, which I'm sure I just pronounced it's pretty good. wrong. <laughs>
0: the only alternative is going French with it. Gorsignier. So I think Gorsignier. So I think you're right probably. <laughs>
1: um and nightbirds, which is a little more complicated, on Twitter it's nightbirds without the eyes, mm-hmm. n g h t b r d s. I guess that's easy to remember. And then on Instagram they are nightbirds with two underscores between <laughs> night and birds. So you got to do what you got to do. Um,
0: there is <laughs> there is a lot of weird in doing research for this interview. There is a lot of like funky nightbird stuff out there. Oh, and God. it's mostly yeah. like three-piece folk <laughs> acoustic acts from like Arkansas right. called the Nightbirds. Yeah,
1: guys with vests. I think it's safe to say guys with vests. guys,
0: two guys with a vest and one <laughs> female fiddle player with curly hair. <laughs> Which I'm sure
1: they're great bands too. But Terrific. you know, check in yeah. check in with with Brian's Nightbirds. They do all they... the weddings
0: in Little Rock. <laughs>
1: Uh, follow us at Going Off Track and, yeah, and Patreon.com slash going off track. Give us a review on um Apple Podcasts. I keep saying iTunes.
0: And please it's Apple Podcasts. Remember when you're doing reviews, if you feel like it, <laughs> just indulge me and try to make it sexually explicit, please. Because <laughs> yeah. it's fun. I'm still listening. Do you think
1: there's a do you think there's a chance that we've gotten like a horde of reviews that were so explicit that they didn't make it
0: into the feed hopefully <laughs> hopefully so i'm going for i played that uh, silk sonic song on drums the other day and i just imagined myself as anderson <laughs> pack those big glasses and the silk shirt with bruno in front uh, of me just playing the keys mm. Mm. so tasty getting funky like melted fucking chocolate all over me i love it i want more <laughs> sexy sexy but yeah i have noted maybe some ratings and reviews this week we could use some of those yeah i'll take give it, it to I'll us i'll take give, give it to it, us it, he says and of course if you want to give us a little tip at venmo uh at off track yeah that one goes straight to brad i don't see it so <laughs> it's not true <laughs> so who knows if you've been generous thank you but I haven't seen it. but all of it helps just listening
1: helps Yeah. get our numbers up we love you follow us on Instagram and um, we'll be back next week yeah.
0: be excellent to each other